Welcome to First Baptist Belton. By God's grace, we aim to be a gospel-centered people who know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the following message. Good morning, church. It's exciting to be here with you. Well, 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 you went and got yourself a pastor. You certainly seem pleased with yourselves, and you should be. You got a good one. I'm convinced of that. I'm excited uh, about uh, Brother Logan and his ministry uh, here at First Baptist that God has called him to. He will be uh, officially in the office as a pastor on January 3rd. His first message will uh, be January 9th of, uh, of next year. Uh, so um, that's why you're so disappointed this morning uh, that, uh, that I'm here, uh, but did want to be clear on that. I'm excited about today's message. Uh, it is uh, one that um, in, in working on it, I do it in a, in a different way uh, than I do most, and that is I, I talk with lots of folks who are pastors themselves, uh, not in this church, not uh, being connected with this church in any way. In fact, I haven't talked with Brother Logan uh, about this, so the views that I express may very well not represent his. Um, but I do that because what I want to know is what do pastors wish their congregations could hear about their ministry before they get here. And so in talking to them and in, in thinking through my own experiences serving as pastor, that uh, forms a part of today's message. Our text this morning is 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 18. 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 18. And I'm going to ask that you stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and that the laborer is worthy of his wages. Let's pray. Father, we give thanks for this day. We thank you for the joyous moment in the life of this church where we stand today in preparation uh, for the man that you have called to serve as our pastor. I pray for blessings upon him and his family and blessings upon this church as we follow your will in all that we do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. There is no official guide for how to uh, care for and treat a pastor. Several years ago, Karen and I made the uh, very important decision in our lives to become uh, dog owners. Uh, we decided to get a German Shepherd. We had two uh, children. At this time, it was earlier in our marriage, we had the two girls. Paul wasn't born yet. The girls referred to this as the golden years uh, of our family's uh, life. And, uh, and so we had children first and wanted to be sure we were responsible enough to be dog owners. Uh, and so in preparation for that, uh, before there was a YouTube, you would go and get a book that described how to care for or do whatever you needed to do. And so we went to um, 
Barnes and Noble and Karen went over and was looking at some other books and I thought I'll go to the pet section and start, you know, find a book about German shepherds. And so I went over and I came across two books that I thought were uh, probably helpful. One, uh, there was a series and there is a series called uh, An Idiot's Guide to Blank. So An Idiot's Guide to Car Repair, An Idiot's Guide to Cooking. There are all these idiot guides. And there was An Idiot's Guide to German shepherds. So I thought, that sounds helpful. And then, and then uh, right next to it, literally right next to it, there was a book in another series uh, called German Shepherds for Dummies. Right? You've seen that one? Uh, the, uh, it's yellow and black and it's big series and all this. So I had two of these books, uh, The Idiot's Guide to German Shepherds and German Shepherds for Dummies. And I, I didn't know which one to pick. And I thought it was humorous that they were both vaguely insulting, uh, book titles. And so I took them to Karen. I had one in each hand. I found where she was in the store. And I said, you know, the problem is I can't decide if I'm more of a dummy or an idiot. And as soon as I uttered those words, I realized I had made a fateful statement because she didn't look at the book. She looked me dead in the eye and she said, oh, you're an idiot. (laughs) Thus clarifying for all time what many had suspected. It is it is hard to be a pastor. It is hard to be a pastor. And that has come into sharp relief, especially over these last few years, as I've had the opportunity to talk with ministers in in many churches. They talk about how difficult it is generally and how difficult it has been in particular these past few years. In her book, What Pastors Wish, Wish Church Members Knew, Denise George surveyed thousands of pastors across the country, and she wrote the following. Due to everyday ministry demands, pastors often experience physical fatigue, stress, exhaustion, and burnout. Pastors often live under constant emotional stress, and it just gets worse and worse for so many of them. This past week, we celebrated as a nation Veterans Day. And we celebrate that day because veterans are a particular group of people who have sacrificed some sense of a normal life because they don't get to make the same choices while they're serving. They don't get to do the same things as they serve that the rest of us get to do, don't enjoy the same kind of opportunity to decide what they're going to do, what vocation they're going to choose in life, that sort of thing. For a period of time of service, they sacrifice themselves. And who do they sacrifice themselves for? All of us. And in a very similar way, The pastor and his family make sacrifices for all of us. They make decisions about their lives based on their role of service and their call to God's ministry here at our church. The life of the pastor and the life of his family is different. People expect different things from our pastor and his family than we expect from one another. So what Paul is sharing with Timothy is he's laying out what the expectation should be for the church in our service to God as we respect and honor our pastor. He understands how critical, of course, the role of pastor will be through the thousands of years coming after he wrote this letter to Timothy. And so his words need to stand before us 
as a command for how we are to treat and honor our pastor. He shares here that we should give the pastor double honor. And what we're going to look at today are honor in two respects. One, because he states this in a moment, how we are to honor our pastor in terms of compensation. And then second, how we are to honor him in terms of his family and then in terms of respect for him. So the very first thing that Paul shares in his note to Timothy is that our pastor should expect generous compensation. Our pastor should expect generous compensation. He even repeats it. He says we should give him honor and then says again, uh, the laborer is worth his wage. Now, we as a congregation have delegated that responsibility to our personnel committee to make sure that what uh, our uh, compensation structure is for church staff is appropriate and generous. They have the ability and we have the ability as a church to benchmark that against other churches to make sure that our church staff are compensated generously. And that's our responsibility as a church. But compensation goes beyond dollars. Compensation, in part, is a recognition that the typical work responsibilities for a pastor are very different from the work responsibilities that you and I are accustomed to. Let's take a look at a, at a graph that kind of depicts this. Everyone likes this time and point in the sermon where we get to look at graphs. The, the first graph I want to show is what a typical work week looks like. A typical work week. And so what you see in this is a typical work week of 40 hours per week. Now, I understand all of you work more than 40 hours a week. And I understand all of you work more than just Monday to Friday. But this is kind of the general, typical work week. It's divided up into 10 units of time. 10 four-hour units. So it's the idea that you start work at 8 a.m., work till noon, have lunch break, and then work 1 to 5. So each day is a four has two four-hour slots in it. Are you with me? Okay, good. I'll, I'll take that feedback as positive. Uh, and then you see on Saturdays and Sundays, and then from 5 to 9 in the evenings, that time is designated as off, right? Because, the uh, again, I understand this is, uh, this is a typical, it may not exactly describe your work week, but Saturdays and Sundays are off and the evenings are off. So this is what it looks like. All right, now a pastor's work week looks a little bit different. So we start off kind of the same way with two days that are designated as off, and I put quotation marks around off. Why do you think I did that? Ah, because sometimes the phone rings on Saturday morning, right? So it's off time. And uh, and so what that means is with these uh, boxes, we need to find 10 slots for the pastor to do his job. Okay, so out of the remaining boxes, we need to find 10 X's to fill in those slots. Well, the first three we're going to fill in are Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Wednesday evening. Okay, because these are the times that the church is open, where there are worship services, there are Bible studies, and there is an expectation that the pastor is at all of these, uh, all of these meetings and events. Okay, now... What's interesting is to prepare for a sermon, to prepare for a going to take up a Wednesday night, for example, the average pastor spends about four hours a week preparing for that. Okay? 
four hours a week to prepare for a message, to prepare for an hour-long Bible study. It takes about four hours a week. Well, now guess what we've done? We've just doubled the number of X's up here, right? So that means that right now six of those ten available time slots are taken up with things related to Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Wednesday evening. And so the rest of the time that he has to spend needs to be accounted for in those boxes. And it's our responsibility as a church to maintain and make and ensure that the pastor is not spending more than 10 of those uh, four-hour units throughout a given week. Does that make sense? That is what we are called to do in caring for him. I think that's the last slide, isn't it? On that? Okay, yeah, there's a few more. So if we add four more boxes, then that's what a week, a work week might look like for him, which means he's not in on Wednesday morning. He's not in on um, maybe Sunday afternoons because of the way those hours fall. In other words, if if he is working hours outside of those hours, then he's got to be able to reclaim those at other times because those phone calls do come at 9 o'clock at night. Uh, those emergencies do happen early in the morning before the work week begins. And it's our responsibility as we compensate our minister of that and accountable for that. So that can mean some very helpful things for us. As we communicate with him, it may mean things like, on the pastor's day off, not texting him about things that may concern us. Maybe we should limit those texts and communications to times and opportunities when he is working. By respecting that time off, we show our love for him and we show our obedience to Paul's command to Timothy to uh, set those boundaries and respect that for our pastor. The, the pastor's role is one that he is never uh, off the clock of. It happens all the time. Many years ago, I was living in Shreveport. I was serving a church as an intentional interim uh, in Longview and uh, had, had committed to them for three units. So every Sunday I was, I was there for uh, 12 hours and worked with them. And, um, of course, there were calls that came outside of that. And my uh, my eldest daughter at the time, she was in high school, my phone was on the table, and a 430 area code number came. And she said, ooh, Dad, Wednesday calls from church, those are never good. That's what she said. Right? Because knowing that even though the work week in that case was restricted to Sundays, events and things happen outside of that. And we as a church need to have understanding and expectations of that. So our compensation as a church family doesn't end with a paycheck, but it's a sign of respect and love for our pastor and for his family. And that can look like different things. The first church I ever pastored was a country church. And I remember Karen and I had been there a few weeks and a a dear saint of the Lord came up after church uh, one Sunday morning and she said, Brother John, she was smiling, Brother John, your car this morning is locked. And out, we're out here in the country. And out in the country, we don't have to worry about our cars getting stolen. So you, you don't have to lock your car. And 
I said, okay, thank you for that information. And she walked off and I walked away puzzled by this. So the next Sunday rolls around. Uh, my car was locked. I don't like to brag. I locked my car. Uh, and so did in this instance as well. It's a habit. She comes up afterwards. The, the smile maybe slightly less broad than it had been the week before. Brother John, she said, you know, out here in the country, we haven't had a car theft in it. I mean, no one can remember the last time a car was stolen. It's not necessary for you to lock your car. And I, I, I had no idea what she was talking about. I said, okay. Thank you. She walked away. Third Sunday, third clueless pastor, the third uh, instance of a clueless pastor, uh, locked my car, didn't think about it, went in. At the end, this time, the, there was a smile and there were uh, teeth clenched behind the smile. And here's what she said. Brother John, you know, there are lots of people here that would love to share some fresh vegetables with you and your family. And when the car is locked, we can't put them in the back seat. Unless the car is unlocked. Got it. Understood. So, I, so we started leaving the doors open. We, we uh, were thrilled about the opportunity for fresh country-grown vegetables. I love the way that they were creative and thoughtful about how they wanted to show their pastor affection and blessing us by sharing with us uh, things that they had grown. So uh, sh- being thoughtful about that, sharing gifts individually uh, with our pastor, I think is important. Uh, it's critical. You know, our new pastor has two little kids that probably need babysitting. Now, don't, don't, I mean, for a thousand people to go and say, we want to babysit your kids, that would probably be a little creepy. <clears throat> but providing opportunities, maybe finding out who their babysitter is, asking them for that and offering to cover some evenings out, what a blessing that would be for a young family. I would have signed up for that. A night out with babysitting covered all over that. So encouraging them as well. Being friendly toward them and building relationships with them. One of the greatest needs that pastors have is, is uh, space for authentic friendships. And that can be really hard to find in the church. Because to the church members, he's our pastor. And so to treat him as a friend... Uh, can be challenging. And so providing space, which means uh, providing him the opportunity to go to conferences, uh, providing the opportunity for vacations, uh, to visit uh, friends uh, who knew him way back when before he was a pastor, those sorts of relationships are critical for him uh, to be involved in and engaged in. Providing those opportunities is necessary for the long-term success and health and well-being and blessing of any pastor. So the first thing we are commanded is that our pastor should expect generous compensation. The second thing that our pastor should expect is our pastor should expect us to champion his family. Our pastor should expect us to champion his family. You'll recall two weeks ago we talked about all the things we should expect from our pastor And at the top of the list of things he should expect from us is that we champion and care for his family. You may have noticed long before last Sunday, you certainly saw it Sunday, that Brother Logan and Jordan are a team. 
They're a team. And we honor him by honoring her and honoring their children. The relationship of the husband and wife for pastor, for any church minister, is critical. They're the ones that interact with them the most, that provide them the feedback uh, that uh, is most meaningful. Many years ago, the, that church, that country church, was about an hour from our home. So, of course, driving home, you talk about Sunday morning and how that went. And I learned that Karen would be frank in her assessment of the morning's activities. And she gave me warning. So I would say, this is what I began to say, well, what did you think of the service today? And then she would, she would, um, she would either say, oh, it was fantastic, which meant anything, everything went well. Or she would say this. She would say, oh, I still remember this. She would say, well, I, I was really blessed by the music. <laughs> uh. And then I knew. Then I knew. I could inquire further. Or I could choose not to, given that circumstance. The role of the wife with her husband is so important in all aspects, but particularly in the life of the church family. I want to be blunt for a moment. I want to be blunt. Don't send messages to your pastor through his family. Let me say that even more bluntly. It is low class to share things with a pastor's wife that you want to get back to him. Don't do that. Talk to him. Talk to him. And you say, John, that sounds like you have experience with that and that it still bothers you even though it was decades ago. And the answer is yes and yes. Don't do that. Also, as we serve our pastor well and honor him, we honor his family. And so honoring his family means that as his children grow up, part of who they understand God to be and the people of God to be is shaped by this church. Many years ago, I was talking to uh, someone in my Sunday school class who was a preacher's kid. And I asked him, I said, tell me, tell me something about being a preacher's kid that I don't know. And he said, I'll tell you something. He said, as a seven-year-old kid, I knew the people in my church who didn't like my daddy. I knew them all. I knew them all. And, and, and he um, was recalling this decades later, understanding that and who that should be. Russell Moore Longtime leader of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission for Southern, for the Southern Baptist Convention, um, said, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, he was raised, um, by his parents, of course, but he spent, uh, summers with his grandparents. And his grandfather, uh, was a Baptist preacher. And he, every time they went home for summers, they were, they were in church. And he said he was about, uh, 12 years old when he noticed that the fifth Sunday of a month, on Sunday night, his dad, his grandfather would go to church, but his grandmother stayed at home with him. And so he said, Grandmother, why is it that every time the church doors are open, you take me to church? And she said, Russell, because when you grow up, I want you to be a Christian. And he said, Oh, well, the, the fifth Sunday 
night, that's the, the business meeting. You don't ever take me to the business meeting. And she sa- he said, why not? And she said, Russell, because when you grow up, I want you to be a Christian. <laughs> so the shaping and understanding of who God is and who the people of God are reflects the fact that um, for these kids is based to some degree on what they see in you and in me. I love what, one of the, the, the best things about teaching at the University of Mary Hardin Baylor and working there every day is just the brilliant people I get to work with. And I was talking to one in preparation for this sermon. Uh, we have a sociologist on faculty named Todd Ferguson who's written a book about uh, the pressures and challenges that pastors are under that comes out, uh, it comes out in the spring. And so I was curious what he would uh, think about this message and what I should share. And so there have been a couple of things I've said that reflected what he said. But at the end of the conversation, we weren't talking about that. We were talking about uh, him because he and his wife are about to uh, join a new church. And we had talked about that a few months ago, so I asked him how that was going. And he told me about it, and I said, well, what, what was it that really connected you with the church? And they're, they're in a different they live somewhere else. They don't live in Belton uh, or Temple. They live, they live further away. And he said, he said, John, it was really our kids connecting with what's going on there. And that that's a place where they can grow to know and love God. And here's what he said that grabbed my attention. He said, John, my wife and I are doing everything we can so that in 35 years, our kids will love Jesus as much as we love Jesus today. And we're going to do everything we can to make that happen. And I thought, boy, what if, what if we embrace that idea as a, as a church regarding our pastor and his family? What if we did everything that we can to ensure that in 35 years they have a healthy, growing marriage and that those kids love Jesus as much as we love Jesus. What, what a, a powerful uh, vision that would be for how we serve our pastor well. So our pastor should expect from us generous compensation. He should expect that we should champion his family. And lastly, our pastor should expect that we would honor him. And one uh, in one place, Paul is sharing what honor looks like among the believers. And he says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 18. And we urge you, brothers, to recognize those who labor among you and are over the Lord, uh, over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves now we exhort you, brothers, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, and see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. As we think about these verses and that the heading in verse 12 is to recognize those who labor among us. And here he's talking about those who minister among us. We need to understand that the pastor is worthy of our honor and our respect. The pastor is worthy of our honor and respect. But but what does that look like? What does that mean to respect and honor him? Well, he says to esteem them very high, 
and those who are over you in the Lord and admonish you, he says. That means there will be painful messages that we hear as believers sometimes from our pastor. There will be times that he challenges us. There will be times that he encourages us. And as the people of God, there will be days where he admonishes us in the Lord. That's how it's supposed to work. That's what Paul is sharing with the the Thessalonians here, is that those who uh, work with you on behalf of the Lord, there will be those times that they admonish you. And you need to recognize that. A second thing that it means to give honor and respect to our pastor is that God has called someone here who fits in with our understanding of God's vision for this church. And so what that means is, as he leads, we need to see that God has placed him here to lead us in a particular direction. And so we give him the benefit of the doubt in terms of what that looks like. I shared with you two weeks ago that every pastor brings change, and that's all fine and good. We embrace that until he starts changing my stuff. And that's when it starts to to, uh, hurt a little bit. And Paul's message is clear. God has set apart the pastor of a church to provide leadership and direction for the church. And so as believers, we need to understand that and give him that space to lead us and to move us in the direction that God is calling us in. What that also means, I believe, is that there is no one here more than the pastor that, God's hold, that God holds accountable for the church. Right? So that God, so God holds us all accountable and there's no one who wrestles with that, who prays about it, who weeps over that more so than the pastor uh, as God leads him and directs him. There is an understanding then that the vision that God brings is vital and important. But John, you mentioned last week, and I've noticed, or two weeks ago, and I've noticed in my lifetime since then that pastors aren't perfect. They're not perfect. So what then happens when I disagree with the pastor? What should we do when that occurs? Well, a couple of thoughts on, on that. First, whether you agree or disagree, we're commanded to pray for our pastor, right? All the time, we are commanded to pray for our pastor. And here's a, here's a suggestion. If the only time you talk to your pastor is when you're in disagreement with him, that's not going to be a fruitful, productive relationship for either one of you. And so you need to encourage your pastor in season and out of season. You need to pray for him. You need to uh, provide opportunities uh, to uh, share what you love about him. Write him a note. Mention it to him in the hallway. Tell him how much he is blessing you and your life. On those occasions, then, when you disagree, you should also share that with him in an appropriate way. What do I mean by appropriate way? Sundays are a terrible time to share criticisms 
with the pastor. Several years ago, my, uh, my, well, I mean, all three of my kids played soccer. It was the middle child. Bethany is her name, which I recall. And, um, Bethany was, uh, on a select team. She was playing soccer all over Louisiana. And her coach, the very first, uh, meeting he had, he talked with this, with the kids, let them go. And then to the parents, the rest of us, he said, I love parents. I love working with your kids. I want to talk to you. I want to hear what you think about how things are going. I want to hear what you think about practices. I want to hear what you think about the games. Here's my only rule. I don't talk about it on game day. Don't talk about it on game day, which was, I think it was Saturdays. He said, you can call me Sunday. You can call me Friday. We're not going to talk about it on Saturday. I just want to be clear about that. Don't hit your pastor with a criticism on Sunday. Because Sunday, his mind is focused on bringing God's message to us. And there's nothing that is more distracting uh, than hearing critical statements on the Lord's day. So set up a time, meet with him, talk to him directly, don't talk to others. Share with him what um, what God has laid on your heart and offer it to them in love and affection. Don't ambush him. With those sorts of things. And then, depending on what the issue is, how things are going, if the church has decided, that is, has weighed in, feedback's been given, and the church has decided uh, to go in a particular direction, then you need to ask the Lord what He is leading you to do. And let me tell you an instance of, of, and a direction God led Karen and I in many years ago. We were, I was counted up, we've been uh, married for uh, 30 years and have been members during that time of five churches. And all, and for four of those five churches, the reason we left is because we moved out of town. So there has only been one instance where we have left a church. And ironically, it's the church where we were members the longest. We were at a church for 12 years. We're incredibly blessed by, by this church. Our kids all came to know the Lord there. And some of our deepest Friendships on the planet came out of that church. Uh, The church elected to go in a different direction than they had uh, previously. I talked with the pastor about that, and he was very convicted about the church moving in this direction. I was not uh, convicted that that's the direction that as a family, Karen and I needed to move in. We prayed about it, and what I shared with him is, I, I think it's come to a time of parting. It, it did no uh, good in my mind that I could see to uh, continue to be frustrated and uh, to stir up uh, any uh, antagonism or anger in the, in the church body. And so I had a great meeting with him. He prayed for me and my family. I prayed for him and we departed. And guess what? The church has been fine. They've been fine. And guess what? Karen and I are members of one of the greatest churches on the planet here at First Baptist Belton. We are fine. But my point is, as you read Scripture, there are times where God calls His people to do different things. And we need to be open to that. If there is a constant disagreement, if there is a friction that, that could potentially lead to disunity, then what I would encourage you to do is ask God, what are you calling me to do in this? To be a source of continuing uh, to support and encourage the life of the church and the pastor? Or is this God's way of saying, you know, 
I've got a new place of service for you and directing you there. Ultimately, it reminds us that as God's people, we are called to serve those that God has brought here. And there's different ways that we can do that. I want to conclude with this. And this is a challenge for for us as a church. Uh, There was a a Greek astronomer a long time ago who uh, developed the idea that the earth is the center of the universe, which makes sense, right? The sun rises every morning. It used to rise. It used to set in the evening. Now it sets a lot earlier than that. Um, But he said, you know, I think the earth is the center of the universe and everything revolves around it. And then many years later, another astronomer, Copernicus, came along and said, you know, it's actually the fact that the earth revolves around the sun. And it shocked everyone, created this great revolution of how people look at the heavens. What if it's not simply the fact that God has called Brother Logan and his family here to serve us? What if out of all the families on this planet... God has brought this family here for us to serve and to love them. And for us to think of creative ways to bless our pastor, his wife, and their kids. What if our model for ministry was not solely focused on what he is going to do for us, but instead was framed by what we as a church were going to do for a pastor? Do you think that would be a blessing to them? Do you think that's the kind of church they would want to come and stay at for 30 plus years? I think it would be. And I think that's the kind of church that we are. And I'm excited about what God is doing with us here. I'm going to ask that you stand as we pray. Our focus today has been on the future of our church and that church is always in service to the kingdom of God and the fact that His kingdom is all about people who don't know Him coming to know Him. And so I want to give you an opportunity to respond to uh, any uh, message that the Lord has laid upon your heart. Uh, And uh, Brother Matt's going to be up here at the front. And uh, so come now as the Lord leads you to do. If you would like more information, please visit fbbelton.org. Or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street. We hope to see you soon.